organized retail crime is such an intense focus for the industry, yet it's the number that's the hardest of them all to pin down. I'm Daphne Howland, senior reporter with Retail Dive, and this is our podcast. We cover the important news, trends, and happenings in retail, and we often go into the story behind those stories, too. Welcome to the background. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Backroom. Today, I'm really happy to have with me senior editor Karen Vembar. She's one of my editors at Retail Dive. I couldn't do any of the stuff that I do without my editors. <laughs> uh, and Karen and I work closely together on a lot of coverage and recently worked together on a few stories that we've been doing on retail crime We had a couple of pretty big stories come out in recent months, and those couple of stories took a lot of work (laughs) (laughs) in the back scenes, really kind of weeks and weeks, months and months of carving out angles, checking in with Karin about, you know, what should we cover first? What am I doing? (laughs) Um, So Karin, thanks so much for doing the show with me today. Uh, Daphne, I'm so happy to be here and to talk about your work because it's so exciting and people see the end product of it. They read the end story and they have, you make it look so easy and people don't realize how hard you've worked for so many months on these stories. Um, And you broke a really big story at the end of last year. It came out in November um, and it was about retail crime, which is a very hot topic right now. It's a very controversial topic in some areas. But even though you wrote a big story about it in November, your research really, if I'm remembering correctly, started over the summer, correct? Yeah, we were working on it. We this was a story that a lot of people were covering and along with some some serious coverage there was a lot of sensationalist coverage and right. videos going viral and we really wanted to bring that serious kind of cold-blooded approach that you do as business journalists we wanted to really kind of drill down and find out what was going on which turned out to be not that easy <laughs> We had so many meetings about coverage in this area because it was confusing. Like, what is the actual story here? We knew that something felt a little off, but couldn't quite verbalize it. And Daphne, you really spent months talking to sources. Can you talk a little bit about what your article in November was about and then kind of how you got there in that process? In a way, we have to back up a little bit, because if you remember, you I'm sure you remember, I finally, at long last, handed in a colossal piece of work that detailed or went into eight different <laughs> aspects of retail crime. It was an opus. And as you were editing that, we sort of said the numbers piece here needs to be its own story. Absolutely. Because you're writing for the original story, the original version of it was so good and it was so meaty. But the thing that we kept coming back to is like, 
what do these numbers mean? Where do these numbers come from? A lot of it was taken from research from the NRF. And I, I remember you kind of really drilling down to, but what does this mean? What does this mean? And talking with a lot of people about it. The numbers were confounding because they didn't add up. The NRF is really the, actually both the Retail Industry Leaders Association, which most people kind of know of as RELA, and the National Retail Federation, which is NRF, both have sort of widely circulated numbers about retail crime. There's also the terminology, by the way, which ends up kind of confusing the numbers. Retail crime, theft, shoplifting, organized retail crime. As we were doing this coverage, it was the National Retail Federation basically had two major reports from 2023, a special report on organized retail crime, and then their annual shrink report that they've been doing for decades and decades. And then RELA also had a, a number that gets tossed around a lot, which is $69 billion, sometimes shorthand is $70 billion. So we had those numbers, but what it became pretty clear that the provenance of those numbers was sort of iffy. I mean, I literally started peeling the onion by going to statisticians, professors at universities that design surveys and analyze statistics. And I just said, how do I evaluate how solid some of these numbers are? And they really held my hand. I mean, that's part of what took so long. And it's also, I would say, Cardin, wouldn't you say that that's sort of was the beginning of yeah. us realizing that the numbers just didn't have a lot of heft? Well, the question was, what does it mean? Because with that $70 billion number, it was really about shrink, correct? So the $70 billion number is Rila's number, and that's theft. It's theft. And then the NRF's number that we were really looking into. That was 94.5 billion, nearly half of which was due to organized retail crime. Right. And then by the time you were interviewing experts, that number became apparent that it was perhaps closer to 5% of organized retail right. crime versus half of 94.5 billion, which is so so different. It's so different. And it also kind of changes the story of what organized retail crime is and the story that so many organizations were telling up until that point. So you wrote this piece in November and then there was a reaction to it. Can you talk about that? So the interesting thing was because we were excavating that big, huge story that I handed into you, we were pulling out the numbers piece and turning it into its own story. Everything got delayed. So as I'm putting together what is becoming a new story that deals just with the numbers, different things are happening. The NRF actually goes to Washington and, and has meetings with senators and members of Congress and has a press conference. And I which I've been trying to do for weeks now, I'm trying to nail down that nearly half. Phone calls and emails, multiple phone calls, multiple emails. And as we're finishing up that new numbers story, Ben Dugan of the 
National Coalition of Law Enforcement and Retail, confirms that indeed that nearly half number was actually an old 2015 total shrink number from the NRF, which meant that it wasn't nearly half. It wasn't organized retail crime. And, you know, the NRF, to their credit, I had been working with them, checking in with them, various things along the way as I reported out various aspects of the story, including the numbers. As I sort of drilled down on this nearly half of $94.5 billion claim, they were working on the provenance for me, trying to figure out exactly what was going on. And I went back to them. I think, Karen, it was days before publication. Yeah, it really was. I went back to them and said, I have confirmation from Ben Dugan that actually that that nearly half of $94.5 billion is actually one of your reports on shrink from five or six years ago. And they said, well, we'll look into this and get back to you. We published the story. And after it ran, they said, we saw your story. We're going to retract. We're going to take that number out of the crime report. Which was huge. It was a huge turning point. When they told you that they were going to retract that number, what was your immediate reaction to that? I mean, I think I've read the email a number of times. I mean, it's, you know, again, to the National Retail Federation's credit, they didn't try to wiggle out of it or anything. They took it out. It it didn't belong there. So they took it out. Yeah. They reiterated, it's not like they don't think that organized retail crime is a problem. They say that it's hard to get numbers. They they acknowledge that it's difficult to get numbers and good data. They say it's worse than what the numbers they do see indicate, which I'm not sure. You know, if you're collecting data... It's it's difficult to really say, well, we have some numbers, but we don't trust them because we think the problem is worse. It's I guess it's just another way of saying we have terrible data. The interesting thing about this nearly half of $94.5 billion that is attributed to organized retail crime, that's now gone. And as you saw, and as a lot of people saw, for the two weeks after their retraction, there was a lot of play about them taking away that number because it was one of the few numbers out there. It was one of two, really. Yeah. I, You know, you dropped this story. I went back and looked at the dates. You wrote about the retraction on December, I think it was December 4th. And by December 8th, the New York Times had picked it up. And it just, it seemed to all happen at once. Like you wrote the story about the retraction, which, you know, this is in our B2B journalism, it feels huge. But I don't think any any one of us really expected how big and what a big response that story received. So basically, like on my end, I was sitting at um, I was sitting at home. I was uh, with my family and the story came up on New York Times and I like ran out of the room and screamed. Daphne's in the New York Times. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely an indication. And they actually, grateful to them for, you know, setting our story nice up top in their piece. 
I don't know if you remember when I got the the notification from the National Retail Federation that they were going to take the the claim out of their report. And this, by the way, was a special report on retail crime that came out in April of 2023. Remember, I sort of slacked you and said, well, should we write about this? I know. (laughs) Are we going to put a note at the top of our newsletter uh, about (laughs) this number? And you were like, I think I should write about this. I think maybe, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe we should do something about this one thing. And it turned out to be, it just turned out to be a linchpin. Um, which says a lot about like, you never know exactly what's going to hit sometimes. <laughs> uh, can you talk to, I know you and I have talked privately about this, about, you know, Retail Dive is a B2B publication and we're not B2C. Can you talk about how us being a B2B really contributed because we had the time and space to go so deep on this one issue? Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, well, I agree. I had a source who texted me the New York Times story and they said, hey, you know, I know I know you're covering this. You know, you might want to check the story out. And I said, read the second paragraph. That That's my story. <laughs> um, and they said, well, you should work for the New York Times. And I said, well, you know, I don't. The thing is, we this this all happened because we spent so much time with the numbers and with and just really trying to figure it out it had to be solid yeah um we're not a news outlet that runs a a video of a smash and grab on repeat and just like throws out big numbers with billions of dollars attached to it we have to provide our readers who are sophisticated you know people in the industry they already know a lot yeah yeah um and so it, it had to be solid. I had to be sure. I do think that the fact that the retraction went viral and the original, you know, that original numbers story, I mean, if I don't know how many people even did the New York Times even, did that reporter even read the original story? Because there's a lot of, really like crunching down on stuff and really um, investigating and litigating the numbers and claims. And I think it's sort of like that is the B2B story. The retraction is the consumer story. Uh, That's such a great way to put it. That's like such a smart way to put it, Daphne. Yeah, I can see that. You know, and once, so this story hit, it got picked up everywhere. A lot of people wanted to talk to you about it, but there was kind of a professional response that you saw and a personal response to to this. Can you talk a little bit about, like, just the aftermath of, it, it kind of went our version of viral, right. and you suddenly became the retail reporter who was in the spotlight what did that feel like the 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 response from the industry was interesting i think that the nrf which was you know sort of owned the original claim although it wasn't they were citing someone else it was a confused mistake and their their name was evoked 
throughout the following couple of weeks of viral coverage, I mean, there was a lot, there were a lot of stories about the retraction and their name was mentioned each time. And then when David Johnston, who oversees loss prevention and and issues like that for the NRF had went before Congress, he didn't have that number to offer them as he, you know, lobbied for changes to law enforcement issues around this. But the NRF at all times has been, I, I mean, I guess, I guess my point is they almost have a reason to be kind of pissed off at me <laughs> and they have kept the dialogue open they want to keep talking about it. They acknowledge the difficulty around the data and the data collection and the knowledge. So that's been impressive. Rela was a little different. They they had this number that still gets bandied about $70 billion lost to theft. I had a source in that original number story who said, you know, the NRS numbers are actually by and large more solid than real this this Rila number that is often cited. And Rila was really upset by that to the point where I'm no longer on their press list. So you got uninvited, uh, you got unsubscribed to everything. Got unsubscribed from their press list. Yeah. Um, I think part of it is if you read my stories, you understand that um, I'm depending on some knowledgeable experts a little bit of common sense. I mean, the 94, half of 94.5 billion being attributed to organized retail, retail crime d- didn't make sense even for someone who's not a mathematician. I mean, yeah. it contradiction, contradicted NRF's own shrink reports. It, it didn't make sense. I think someone else could have probably flagged that before I did, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to do it. In fact, the LA Times had questioned that number from from the group who, who had given it to NRF. They, a few years before, the LA Times actually kind of poked at this number. It wasn't uh, obviously in the, they weren't looking at the retail crime report per se, but Ben Dugan had testified before the Senate and offered up this number at that point. So others had already, I mean, it stands out. It, it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. Well, well, one thing I liked about your reporting and hindsight's twenty twenty. like the question, the central question that you were asking was actually pretty straightforward, which was how did you get this number? But, you know, I think the thing that you were doing was not trying to debunk a narrative. The thing that you were trying to get at was like, hey, guys, how, how did this how did you get this? You know, it's um, it wasn't going for the jugular. It was right. more of a like, hey, we need to think about this a little bit more like this. Like you said, like, you know, if you look at this number cold, it doesn't doesn't make sense in the larger picture of what's happening. Exactly. It's not just the numbers that are missing it's not just the numbers around organized retail crime that are missing. It's hard to get a handle on more well-defined types of theft. It's hard for retailers and the retail industry in the aggregate to really pin down what they lose to internal theft, what they lose to 
shoplifting from teenagers who are taking packs of gum. None of it is easy to pin down. Organized retail crime is such an intense focus for the industry, yet it's the number that's the hardest of them all to pin down. By the way, Karen already knows this because she's once again working with me on, you know, piles of information, but our coverage of this is ongoing because there are many different layers to this story besides right. the besides the factoid that one of the numbers was wrong. A lot of it has to do with what you were talking about in the beginning of like a lot of these words are used as synonyms <laughs> and like, are, are they, right. <laughs> are they synonyms? Like the, the, you know, the next question I feel like is important is like, what, how do we define these things and defining them actually can help us understand them better, not just as reporters, but for the industry overall where we can kind of, if we can kind of understand what things are and are not, <laughs> we can move forward and talk about things in a clearer manner, which can be very fruitful in the end. The industry is, and a lot of states have already done this, the industry is very interested in getting some beefed up law enforcement tools around this. And yet the information isn't quite there. It's partly what we've already talked about, which is the scale isn't quite understood. Yeah. And by the way, I feel compelled to say retail dive is not saying there's no such thing as organized retail crime. I think that's pretty obvious. What isn't known is what is the scale of it. The other thing that isn't necessarily well understood by the retail chains and retailers is what do we mean by organized retail crime? I'm not sure law enforcement understands it. I'm just not sure that everyone's on the same page about what it exactly it is when we use this term. Right. And I also think that retailers struggle just to pin down shrink in general, where their inventory loss is in general. Well, Daphne, I'm looking forward to your future coverage, kind of as a reader and also as an editor. <laughs> um, it's been really amazing to watch you work on these stories because it's kind of like a gumshoe story <laughs> of like of of the process of like just going back and, and like the the real investigative skills of just continuing to talk and to continue to ask questions. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of that in the future. I'm glad that you're looking forward to it because I cannot do it without you. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> I also have to say that I'm excited about these next chapters in our coverage too, because as these stories have hit on LinkedIn, I'm finding some really interested, interesting new sources on this topic, very knowledgeable. So this is all going to be showing up in our next chapters of this, of this topic. This episode of The Backroom was produced and edited by Caroline Jansen. Please be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.